really a surprise to me that there was trauma in my 20s because that's when I was living the most extreme of my addictive years. So um, really, you know, just ex experimenting with, you know, far more than just alcohol, just any drug I could get my hands on. I lived in a crack house for a while. I was really just sexually adventurous. And so it, it doesn't really surprise me that in those years I experienced essentially self-induced trauma and would experience PTSD from that. Where there's the big question mark for me is like the childhood stuff. Um, Welcome to the Together Sober Podcast. I am your host, Louise Barnett, former Fortune 100 Global Sales Director turned Jay Shetty Accredited Life Coach. Each week, we will provide you a safe space of guidance, empathy, accountability, and support, helping you to find effortless sobriety and mental peace. Before we get started, you guys, please, please, please make sure to hit that subscribe button, like this episode, and rate and review the Together Sober podcast. This is actually the only way that we can grow organically to start impacting more and more lives to find lasting sobriety and mental peace. Welcome back to another solo episode of the Together Sober podcast. Our mission on these solo episodes is the same as the mission on the stories, and it's to create survival guides out of our collective stories. And sometimes in these solo episodes, I like to provide a piece of my story for you. Sometimes I'm providing a tool or a resource. And sometimes we're talking about topics that maybe aren't directly related to alcohol and addiction, but for the vast majority of us, we have experienced something in this world. So I'm not going to be like super vague and weird anymore. Uh, we are going to be talking about some of the symptoms that will come up in adulthood as the result of child or early development trauma. And Oftentimes in childhood or at the age of this trauma, we as, as children or individuals, we lack the tools to understand like when something bad or dysfunctional is happening. We just at the time only know that we have to endure the trauma. So it's, it's just kind of a little bit messy and unclear to that child brain, what's going on, certainly why it's going on. And as a result, uh, we develop coping mechanisms, coping skills, which carry well into adulthood to deal with the experiences of our childhood. And these experiences literally change the makeup of our brain. Now, why is this front of mind for me? Why do I want to share this with you today? It's something that I'm working on right now. Uh, and so I'm going to share a little bit of my experience with you. Um, when I came to Colorado in July, I 
pretty soon after that started neurofeedback. And it's a process where they first evaluate you by doing a brain scan and they evaluate the early part of your brain, the middle life part of your brain and kind of the current part of your brain. I'm really like dumbing this down. I'm certainly not an expert on it, but what was uncovered in my brain scan was two things. Uh, you They rate your brain as flexible, which is the color green. And that's kind of what the desired color outcome of our brain is. Disorganized and rigid. Disorganized is blue and rigid is yellow. So in looking at the analysis of my brain, in my childhood years, as well as my formative years, so kind of my 20s, there's an extreme outbalance of rigidity and disorganized brain. Uh, so out of balance in both of those areas. And what those indicate based on the brain map is that there's significant trauma in both my childhood as well as my 20s. Now, when I received this, it wasn't really a surprise to me that there was trauma in my 20s, because that's when I was living the most extreme of my addictive years. So um, really, you know, just ex experimenting with, you know, far more than just alcohol, just any drug I could get my hands on. I lived in a crack house for a while. I was really just sexually adventurous. And so it, it doesn't really surprise me that in those years, I experienced essentially self-induced trauma and would experience PTSD from that. Where there's the big question mark for me is like the childhood stuff. Um, because like a lot of us, I, I like to say that I had a good upbringing. I have very loving parents. No, things weren't perfect, but I don't know. There's kind of a big question mark there. In addition to the work that I'm doing with the brain mapping and the neurofeedback, I've also started really intense therapy uh, with a heavily DBT influenced model, both individual and group. And in intake analysis with those therapies, I also scored off the charts for PTSD. So this whole idea of trauma and childhood trauma and PTSD has really been on the mind and I'm really like in the messy middle of it, trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, and I'll share with you in a minute why it's really heavily on my mind today. In my experience with the Together Sober community, with clients, with podcast interviews that I do at this point, I've done hundreds of them. Individuals who are on the podcast or coming to me as clients or coming to the Together Sober community have suffered some kind of trauma, big T, little T, medium T, whatever you want to call it. And we all have ended up with this trait. Remember how I said we developed coping skills of addiction. That's one trait but there's a lot more. So for me, I didn't know that I was, like I said, a victim of trauma. I completely disassociated it. And it wasn't until I started doing these therapies that I've now started 
to experience physical manifestations of my response to trauma. For example, when I was little, I do remember I struggled a lot with anxiety. I struggled a lot with social gatherings. I remember my family would take us to like, um, like city events. Um, it was called water fire in Providence, Rhode Island, but same as just kind of like a city event with a downtown vendors, music, that kind of thing. And I do vividly remember experiencing a physical and, and emotional and mental panic attacks being taken out to these events. And I, I wouldn't be able to stay. I would just like go into complete panic. And I kind of outgrew that. Um, I did have panic attacks on and off really into my um, late twenties, very early thirties, but really since my bipolar diagnosis, I haven't experienced panic attacks, panic. Yes. Anxiety. Yes. But not like full on attacks. And I'm sober, right? I'm, I've been sober for a really long time now. I'm doing the work. I'm doing the therapy. And recently I've started to notice that I'm experiencing really a lot of this catastrophic anxiety and panic attacks. So small examples, like for example, when I'm driving, I, if, if I feel like a car is pulling out in front of me too quickly or, or behind me too close, I like physically, my skin crawls out of myself and I, I go into complete panic that this person is like out to literally kill me. And it doesn't feel good, I, but I've just noticed it. And I've kind of like taken notes on it. Um, recently on Friday, just last Friday, my daughter had an event at her school. Um, I've been having kind of a lot of depression lately. So I like really wasn't feeling up to it, but I knew it was important to her. It was important to my husband. So I said, okay, like I'll go. And so we're driving to the school immediately. I kind of see a parking lot full of cars. I can start feeling myself getting really anxious. And when we got into the school, I just, it's so hard to describe my whole body just froze, like just literally froze. Like I, I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I felt like I was in outer space. Everything was spinning. It just was not okay. And I like very kind of, I navigated myself. I, I covered my eyes and like walked towards the room. We were headed to the cafeteria, like where we were supposed to be. And kind of like stood there, focused on my breath, kind of calmed my parasympathetic nervous system down and got myself to the point where I was like, okay, I can handle this. This sucks, but I can handle this. And then as we were navigating through the hallways, um, a little girl, she couldn't have been more than like eight or nine years old. She bumped into me accidentally, knocked my water bottle out of my hand. And I, my reaction to this was as though somebody was running at me with a knife. I just freaked out. Um, it was really strange, uh, really bizarre. And I said, okay, that's it. I'm done. Like, I cannot do this event anymore. So I sat at the front of the school while we waited for Annabelle to finish the activities. So I presented this to my therapist uh, this week. And she said, it sounds like what the neurofeedback is doing is it's, it's really retraining my brain, but what's happening is my body is starting to experience some of these like coping skills that I used to have. 
as a child and it's starting to experience again, not the actual event, but I'm being triggered by events. And then I'm experiencing kind of the skills that I used to use. And so in in some ways this is good. Like my body is physically remembering the trauma. I still don't have memory of anything. Um, and I might not ever find it, but the work that I'm doing right now, that's not the point. The point is not to uncover the trauma necessarily, but the point is to reset our fight, flight, or freeze systems, which mine are super out of whack. They're rigid and disorganized, um, or reset the parasympathetic nervous system. So we can't really do that if we don't know what some of these coping skills are or some of these symptoms or traits are. And for me, I didn't believe that I was a victim of childhood trauma until I read this list of symptoms. And this is put together by a licensed social worker, Katie Gillis, who also wrote Invisible Bruises. And I want to share this list because you might be somebody that like me is like, well, why did I make all these decisions in life? Why did I start this relationship with alcohol and drugs? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't have anything in my life that says I would have done this or I would have made these decisions. And this list to me really validated, again, it didn't uncover a memory. It didn't tell me why, but it really validated that I do fall into this category and I need to continue doing the work that I'm doing. My um, mast cell activation syndrome is really acting up. So I have a really scratchy throat right now. So just bear with me a little bit as I'm recording this. The first is people-pleasing behaviors. Children who had to fight for the attention of their caregivers, they essentially learned how to be people-pleasing. And this was instead of enduring the emotional pain of a caregiver like dismissing them or abandoning them, they learned how to make people happy because it made life easier. And I see this a lot. I just did an interview. I don't know what episode she's going to be, but her name is Kelsey. Look out for it in the future. Um, huge people-pleasing tendencies in her addictive years. And uh, for me, I, I never thought of myself as a people-pleaser until I started doing this therapy work. And I realized that I kind of avoid it. Like, I won't say yes, but I'll just kind of ignore or avoid. And in that sense, I'm just kind of avoiding the situation. Um, and sometimes I do say yes when I don't want to say yes. And then I kind of put it off and then wait months to tell that person no. Number two is high achievement or perfectionism. And children who grew up in emotionally neglectful environments tend to thrive under high stress. And so what that means into adulthood is that they're also more prone to perfectionism. And for me, this rings 100% true. I have always been a high achiever. I've always, you know, cum laude this, cum laude that, um, MBA this, certification that, um, kind of conquer the world, take on a million projects at a time, uh, and obsess, be hypervigilant about them uh, to the point of perfection. 
And I do believe that is a result of high stress environments that I was in as a child, as well as I put myself in into adolescence. Constant comparison with others. We, I can't think of a single person in the Together Sober community that does not compare themselves to others. I feel like we're always preaching, like, don't compare yourself to others. Um, Obviously, it's part of being human, but if you notice that you're constantly comparing yourself to others, then this could be obviously a sign of low self-esteem, low confidence, which comes from neglectful experiences. So yes, we all compare, we're all scrolling on Instagram, but do you find that you're kind of doing it to excess? And for me, yes, I am. Whether it's my body, whether it's my job, whether it's my, you know, boyfriend and like husband and his friends, whether it's, it's just for me, nothing's ever good enough. And I'll always find somebody else that's a better version of what I want to be. Avoiding relationships or getting close to people. So if you were abandoned as a child, there's going to be a fear of getting hurt again, and that can keep you from getting close to people. And until my husband, that's definitely true. I, I avoided relationships. I also have been known to self-sabotage relationships. I tried to sabotage my relationship with my husband for probably the first year of our relationship, constantly testing him um, because I was so afraid of being hurt. Number five is jumping from relationship to relationship or just staying in a relationship past its expiration date. So this is similar to avoiding relationships um, and it can mean avoiding emotional pain. So because we don't want to experience hurt or pain, we're just going to like jump to the next, jump to the next. Um, And it's filling a void in our childhood and those attachment style wounds. So if we can somehow prove that we are worthy of love and affection, this heals the inner voice inside us that constantly tells us that we're not easier said than done. Too rigid or too loose boundaries. Setting boundaries that are too loose is a commentary of survivors from environments where boundaries were not respected. And Also, those who have too rigid boundaries to the point of not letting others in might also be trying to protect themselves. So for many years, I set way too loose boundaries. Um, And I would say now I err on the side of setting too rigid boundaries. And boundary setting is something that we talk a lot about in the community because oftentimes when we're relapsing, it's it's nobody else's fault, but our own. And it's usually because we haven't set the appropriate boundary for ourselves. I think I talked about that in an episode. I know I did. The need to fix others. Children who grew up in environments with dysfunction might carry the need to help and heal others in their adult relationships. Well, this is very true. Rings true of me for sure. Um, I left corporate America to try to help others. And even before then, I have always kind of functioned as like a peacemaker or problem solver within my family unit. Disordered eating is number eight. There's a strong connection between childhood trauma and disordered eating. 
many people with eating disorders often report having suffered some kind of childhood trauma, um, every kind of disordered eating. Mine started when I was 14, um, anorexia. And while it has ebbed and flows flowed over the years, it's still very present today. And it's no surprise to me. Again, this is like an example for me that I'm like, okay, I haven't dealt with anorexia for years. And all of a sudden it's coming up again for me. Um, again, this is a coping skill that I used in younger years that is now coming up again because I'm doing this work to reset my brain. Number nine is self-medicating with substances or substance misuse. I think like enough said here. Um, obviously this is kind of what started my quest to find out more information. Yeah. We numb, we mask, we hide. We're looking ways to get rid of it, to hide it. And it's legal when it's alcohol, but I'm not going to forget other substances as well here. So I think we, I think enough said on this one, we can all relate to this. Number 10 is feelings of depression, anxiety, or anger that do not go away. Studies have shown a link between physical and mental health symptoms and childhood trauma, and particularly if it's reoccurring. So this is one again for me that kind of made me say, Ooh, what's going on here? And it's because I typically haven't struggled with a lot of intense depression, but Lately I have, and I, I also know that's because I've been doing this work and this is a coping skill. You know, depression is a lot of numbing and masking and hiding and avoiding. And as somebody who's sober going through all of this now, I don't have that coping mechanism anymore. And so my eating disorder and depression has kind of replaced that. Um, addiction transference is a fascinating topic to me, but this definitely falls into that category. Experiences of chronic pain. So chronic pain in adulthood with physical and mental health symptoms of experiencing childhood trauma, especially coming from abuse or neglect. Um, I obviously was diagnosed uh, last year with a autoimmune condition and have had a lot of chronic pain with my hip and some of my joints this year. And so again, this is a, in a way we want to thank our bodies for this because they're trying to protect us. Like all of these things that I'm reading right now, this list of skills and tools is our body and our mind's way of trying to protect us from what happened in, in childhood. And I think my body's doing a pretty damn good job. Sensitivity to rejection. After growing up in an environment where caregivers were rejecting emotionally unavailable or unsupportive, it's common to have sensitivity to rejection. I relate to this wholeheartedly. It's kind of shameful, so I don't like to admit it, but like I could, if I ask to do something or volunteer to do something or apply for any position or job or role, even if it's just as like, like, I'm not even interested in it, but I still apply to it. If I get rejected, I take that so personally, very sensitive to rejection. Um, even if I ask my husband for something and he says, no, I, I really struggle to receive that 
information and I take it very personally. Number 13 is not feeling seen or heard. Not having these needs met in childhood leaves survivors with unmet needs. Being left out or not included in conversations, social gatherings, or other events can also trigger the feeling of not being included in the family origin. So I experienced this in that I don't believe anybody understands me. I don't under believe anybody like empathizes me or gets me. I feel a lot of times like I'm this like weird foreign alien. Um, that nobody will ever understand with just all these problems. And so that's how I received that one. The need to over-explain or make excuses. In an environment where emotions are shamed or lead to punishment, children grow up with the message that certain feelings or experiences are bad or wrong, and they might feel compelled to over-explain themselves out of fear of not being believed. I don't actually relate to this one a lot. I kind of operate in a less is more, like the opposite. Um, I feel like I provide as little information as possible um, while still being honest and true. So I don't know if that means anything that it's the opposite, but I know a lot of times like in addiction, especially if you're newly sober, you might feel that need to like overcompensate or like overly defend yourself. Number 15 is feelings of shame and guilt. Survivors of childhood family trauma frequently carry a strong sense of shame and guilt. Children have a natural propensity to self-blame, and they often assume what happened or didn't happen to them is their own fault. I think this one, again, I think the majority of us are going to be able to relate to. Um, feelings of shame and guilt are a daily battle whether it's shame for not being a good mom, shame for not being a good wife, shame for past events and experiences, that one is very front of mind. 16 is poor self-esteem or self-image. In the absence of caregivers who teach children they are valuable, children internalize the message that they are not. So I struggle a lot with poor self-image and self-esteem especially when it comes to my physical body and my physical appearance. And uh, <laughs> I know that like a lot of times too, that can be influenced if we had people in our lives that were self-deprecating or self-degrading to themselves. We'll probably pick that up in adulthood. And uh, I certainly had that growing up. 17 is lack of ability to relate to others or being self-conscious. After growing up in an environment with unsafe adults, it's normal to attribute unsafe behaviors towards people outside of the family, which can keep survivors from ever fully trusting others. Uh, I struggle to relate to people in general. It's funny because I, I do um, relate very well with my subject matter expertise but when it comes to like just relating to the neighbor or relating to somebody that I met at a school event or something like that, I really, again, like struggle to feel like I get it or fit, it, fit in or they get me. I feel like I'm, if I do relate well, it's because I'm putting on a mask and I'm not actually presenting as my true self. 
18, difficulty expressing emotions. Growing up in an environment where emotions were frowned upon, dismissed, or even ridiculed sets up a lifetime of discomfort expressing uncomfortable emotions. Yes. So this is one that we struggle with in our house. Um, We feel emotions and we tend to express them with a different coping mechanism (laughs) Um, rather than just expressing the emotion that I'm feeling. Uh, So if I'm feeling fear or scared, I might express that with anger or hatred or frustration. Fears of social situations. When we grew up in environments where interacting with others was scary or even dangerous, it is normal to grow up with fear of repeating these interactions. So this one to me is like totally front of the line right now. I am so petrified to go to a restaurant, to go to public, to go to an event. Uh, And this is this is bringing up a lot of stuff right now and there's a lot to dig into there uh that's yeah that's relatively newer for me and then number two is acting in dysfunctional or unhealthy ways towards other so the most common precursor to abuse or violence is the experience of this in childhood and Dysfunctional or bad behaviors are on the spectrum and we all exhibit some bad behaviors at some point in our lives, but this does not mean we're bad people. This is not to excuse the behavior that caused it, but it is to help us shine a light on the reason behind it and allow for space to grow and heal. So again, yes, I can check this one off the list. Um, Acting in dysfunctional or unhealthy ways towards others. Um, this is also to me, like mixed in with like not managing emotion. So I might react to my husband in a really angry or unkind way, um, or in a dysfunctional way. And this is a skill I used at some point in my upbringing or adolescence, um, to keep me safe. And I guess that's how I'm using it today as well. So listen to this list. There were 20 of them on the list. People pleasing behaviors, high achievement or perfectionism, constant comparison with others, avoiding relationships or getting close to people, jumping from relationship to relationship or staying at one too long, too rigid or too loose boundaries, the need to fix others, disordered eating, self-medicating with substances or substance misuse, feelings of depression, anxiety, or anger that do not go away, experiences of chronic pain, sensitivity to rejection, not feeling seen or heard, the need to over-explain or make excuses, feelings of shame and guilt, poor self-esteem or self-image, lack of ability to relate to others or being self-conscious, difficulty expressing emotions, fears of social situations, and acting in a dysfunctional or healthy way towards others. So if you listen to that list and you feel like you can really relate to a good portion on that list, and you're somebody that is searching for sobriety, new in sobriety, and still kind of like on this quest of like, I know I'm missing something. Like what else is there? I feel like everything is coming up now, which it does in sobriety. Like 
the beginning is great. And then the work starts happening. Um, then I would ask you to reach out to a local professional provider, uh, and really get an evaluation, probably a PTSD evaluation, because chances are, if you're experiencing a lot of these traits, then you're dealing with a lot of trauma, big T, little T, medium T that maybe hasn't been dealt with from your early days, from your adolescent days, maybe your days in addiction. And this, like to me, if it's not dealt with, it's just going to fester and fester literally in your brain and get bigger and bigger. And it's going to prevent you from having relationships with yourself and relationships with other people that are healthy and whole. And so for me, the work that I'm doing right now is for those three people. It's for myself, it's for my husband, it's for my daughter, because I want to live a life worth living. I want to wake up every day and be grateful for the day and leap out of bed. And I want to fall asleep feeling satisfied and happy. And right now, I don't feel that way. Right now, I'm struggling with a lot of these coping skills. I'm struggling with a lot of these things on the list that I just openly shared with you guys. And it's really standing in the way of me not even just living my best life, but like living a life worth living. And it's festering. It's, it's building up. There's a lot of toxins in there. And the good news is that I have an incredible team that I'm working with. I encourage you to be your own self-advocate and find your own team. And it's going to be a year of work, uh, to understand and reset my systems, reset my fight fighter freeze and really find an equilibrium and a calm, a sense of common understanding uh, without necessarily recollection, right? A lot of these memories are clearly disassociated. I don't remember them. I probably will never remember them. Um, and that's okay as long as I can develop new skills and retrain my brain in new ways to handle triggering situations in a way that is going to just help me reset relax. And that is going to help me better my relationship with myself and my family. So kind of a grim uh, episode today, but you know, gosh, you guys like sobriety isn't always sunshine and roses. And so much of it is amazing. And it's the best thing I've ever done for myself. It's the best thing I've ever done for my family. But with 20 years of masking and numbing and hiding comes a lot of shit that you have to deal with. So I'm dealing with it. I'm dealing with it now. And I hope that you are too. Putting down the bottle, getting sober does not fix everything. It changes a lot. And I I think it's an incredible first step. And for me, that's exactly what it has become. It was a first step to now doing this really important work so that I can live the rest of my life behaving in ways where I can go to bed, not feeling like, I acted 
as a poor version of myself. I want to go to bed feeling like I acted as the best version of myself. So that's the goal there. Uh, the dogs are barking. They must need something if you can hear them. <laughs> so I'm going to leave it on that. But really, I just want you to take this list. And if you're identifying with a good per percentage of what's on this list, I need you to seek some local help and guidance because all the stuff that's buried in our brains um, is not going to disappear it's going to continue to kind of grow and fester. And so it's our job and our responsibility to do the work, do the therapy, to work through a lot of these unhealthy coping skills and redefine how we are coping with some of these triggers from our early childhood and adolescent years. All right, my friends. Well, that is it. I will see you next week for another solo episode. I wish you a wonderful week and we'll see you then. Bye. Thank you so much for listening today. If you liked it, please do not forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts and or Spotify. This is the only way we can spread the mission of Together Sober to help individuals find lasting sobriety and mental peace. If you didn't like it, don't even worry about it. You're like totally fine. 